Good morning, everybody. Thank you, uh, everyone that was helping up here. Great, great morning. Thank you for joining us here online. Thank you for joining us online. Um, and uh, just so you know, Colleen actually broke her ankle. And if you're on Facebook and she's your friend, you can see it split right through. It's pretty intense. We also have uh, one of our uh, attenders, Scott Maga. His brother is um, in hospice at home. Many of you here probably have done that journey where someone's in hospice and they're just saying, hey, just uh, in this, this last time, we want them to be comfortable. And if you would just keep them in prayer, um, it's, a, it's a difficult time. And... Uh, uh, God knows the details. So, But uh, at this time, before we start, we have great service here today. We are going to be looking at, we have been going through the series Exit Us, talking about the book of Exodus, and we're just preaching through the book. Could you do me a favor? Could you commit to read three chapters of the Bible before you go to sleep tonight? Ch Exodus 11, 12, and 13. Would you do that? How many of you just lied? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm reading the Bible. Yeah, sure. You know, just kidding. But uh, it, it's great, and it really encompasses everything we're going to talk about uh, with what is called the Passover meal. And out of the Passover meal comes the, what we have as Gentile Christians, communion. And I want to stitch all of this together, but it's just too big for us to do that. But in order to understand the Passover meal... And the Lord's Supper, we have to understand the last plague, the death of the firstborn, and we have to understand Pharaoh's table. God calls us to his table. Jesus calls us to his table. But Pharaoh is where most people live their life, not knowing that they could be free and have so much more. And so we're going to make that clear. But in order to do that, we're going to have some fun. Can you guys uh, just kind of loosen your collar? If I could have Paul, where are you, Paul? Come on up on the platform. If you do it, I'm going to need, I, I got I a volunteer here. His name's Paul. If you could just give it up for him as he's coming on the platform. All right. Why don't you stand right there? We'll give you step-by-step -step instructions. And I need a, a victim, I mean a volunteer. Um, so I'm going to actually, yeah, I'm going to do it to you, Vivian. Why don't you come on up? Give it up for Vivian Rosenberg as she comes up to the right side here yeah you could come up this side and just walk over to my right now in the passover meal there are different different things that have different purposes and significance and and this is done every single year if you could go to the far side there and i'm going to put my mask on here because i don't want you to catch covid from me <laughs> or that fungus i got all right so anyway just kidding so here are all these different things that they have but they also have four cups and so these four cups all represent a certain thing that God wants us to remember and understand. And Jesus said um, when he took the cup or a cup, the cup of deliverance, he said, this is the blood of my covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's where we have communion from. But here's what I like to do. If you could just give everyone, just say, hi, Vivian. She is, she is a great sport. And, and this is uh, Hermano Pablo. We share the same name, elbow bumps. Boom. Here's what I'd like you to do, is each of you, I'm going to have you describe what you taste, but we're going to count down. We're going to go one, two, three, and they're going to move from left to right, and at the same time, they're going to take a sip of what's there in the first cup, and then I'm going to put the mic up, and they just very quickly are going to tell us what it tastes like. They're going to describe it for us. There's nothing nasty here like, you know, oyster juice or anything like that. Wouldn't that be mean? Yeah. But okay, if you'd count it down, three, two, one, and then they'll both sip at the same time. The furthest cup on the left. Ready? Here we go. Say it with me. Three, two, one. All right, go. Take a sip, slosh it around. Awesome. All right, why don't you describe for us the experience of what you just tasted? It tastes tangy, and it's 
a lot like oh, it's tangy and it's sweet also. Oh, it's sweet and it's good? It tastes nice? Yeah, it tastes nice. Awesome. All right. Vivian, how about your cup? What did you get? What does it taste like? Uh, lemon juice. Lemon juice? Like concentrated lemon juice. Concentrated lemon juice. Mm. Sure. Don't worry, it gets totally worse. Here we go. Ready? Count it down for them. They're going to go to the next cup. Say it with me. Three, two, wait, wait a second. We've got to make this biblical. Let's do Matthew, Mark, Luke. Okay? Here we go. Matthew, Mark, Luke, go. All right? Mmm. Slosh it around. No, keep the mask down so we can see your face. Why? <laughs> Fuego! All right. Oh, you're going back for some more, huh? All right, awesome. What does it taste like? Say that. What's that sound you made? It tastes like fizzy ciders. It's apple cider, yeah. sparkling apple cider. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> Vivian, what? You need a minute? It's sour. What is it? What do you think sour. it is? Yeah, it's sour. It's, uh, it's actually pure lime extract. Oh. Pure lime extract. I really do like her. I do. Okay, ready? Here we go. We're going to go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Ready? We'll just be biblical about this instead of one, two, three. Ready? Say it with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, go. It tastes a little bit like cranberry juice, but... Yeah, it's actually cranberry. Isn't that delicious? Yeah. Yeah, we're friends, right? Big time, dude. Yeah, high, high elbow fives. Hey, we're friends, right? I, I thought so. You thought so? <laughs> she said, what, what does it taste like? Prune juice. Yes, it's prune juice. Isn't that great? I really do. Aren't you glad I didn't call you up, huh? All right, here we go. Last one. Why don't we do uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus? Let's do Numbers, Deuteronomy. Ready? Here we go. Numbers, Deuteronomy, go. Taste it. Let's see what it... Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> My fear is, is that Vivian will know how to get even with me on the off hours of church, and I'm in trouble, but... It's water. It's just water, huh? Isn't that awesome? You did so good. Vivian, what's the matter? It's salt water. <laughs> It's what? Salt water. It is. It's salt water. Could you give our two contestants a hand? Thank you so much. Hey, Paul, because you, had, because you had to endure so much and go through such difficulty, we got a special gift for you. This is the Guinness Book of World Records. It's got like all those things that people have done, like drinking the nastiest things for the longest period of time and all that. And so thank you for suffering here for Jesus up here. God bless you. Vivian, better luck next time. God bless. All right. Give it up for Paul. Everyone just go, aw, for Vivian. <laughs> I win. <laughs> just kidding. All right. Hey, I want to talk with us today about a very exciting section of Scripture talking about the Passover. Now, uh, the formal Hebrew name for this is Seder. Like, every, we say Seder, but Seder. And here's what I'm not going to be doing today. I am not going to be walking you through a Passover meal. I am not a Messianic Christian. I love bacon, and I don't eat kosher. And the purpose of what we're looking at here today is as Christians, as New Testament believers, the significance of what God could speak to us through these chapters, 11 through 13. And this is a very famous, very, very famous um, 
event that happens. Now, we've been covering through the book of Exodus. Last week, we kind of interluded with talking about the prophetic word, and if you haven't heard that message, I really encourage you to listen to it. There's good teaching there, but this week, as we go into these chapters, it's very, very thick. It's talking about a meal and a ceremony that God creates that actually, starting March, uh, I believe it's 24th or 26th, all the way to April 4th, Easter, it is this event of this meal celebrating the exodus of Israel. And this is where the lamb is sacrificed and the blood is put over the posts of everyone's house. And God says that he is going to kill as the la every single firstborn in the land of Egypt. And anyone who covers their home with the blood that the angel of death will pass over. You cannot understand the Passover meal without understanding the death of the firstborn. You can't understand the table of the Lord without understanding the table of Pharaoh. And you can't understand the Passover meal without understanding the last plague and what's really going on here. And so we're going to walk through this. And so if you'd pray with me one last time, or allow me to pray here as we take a look at the three tables. The table of Pharaoh, the table of, the table of, Pharaoh, the table of Moses, and the table of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for everyone watching online. Thank you for everybody sitting here. Thank you for what you've been doing with your presence and your spirit among us. And so I pray that you would just help us to make a connection here today. And as we conclude with communion, I just pray that your presence would be sensed, that your peace would be ours, that our protection in you would be assured, and that we would, we would be grateful for what Jesus has done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Now, in chapter 11, Moses has been going back to Pharaoh over and over and over again, saying, let my people go, let my people go. And we talked about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, that Pharaoh hardens his heart, Pharaoh hardens his heart, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and then it goes to start to say, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's a theology called that is... Uh, uh, I guess the best way I could describe it is Calvinism that says that God picks people who are destined for destruction and God picks people who are destined to be saved. That doesn't make sense to me when the Bible says that, who, that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. In other words, th there's a theology that says that it's a rigged game. And they get this from reading Romans chapter 8, and we talked a bit about this, that, that when you read the examples in Romans 8, God isn't saying, and I create vessels for destruction. He's saying, so what if I did? He's God. Who could you question it? And for those of you that maybe know this theology, if I could just challenge you to look at the examples that are given there. It's Moses and Pharaoh, Jacob and, and Esau, Ishmael and Isaac. It's two brothers that make two separate choices on how they're going to approach God. They choose the relationship that they will have with God and with each other by choice, not by force. And so God says to Pharaoh, I want, imagine if Pharaoh listened to God, but God knew that he was going to be unyielding. He's God, he knows all things, but he's also fair in that he had to walk out the process. And so he walks out this process, and now we're at the last plague. And God says, now I will deliver you with a strong hand. And Pharaoh's going to beg you to leave that country. And here's something that I want you to look at. When you talk about the table of Pharaoh, in America, our country has been a nation for 300 years, right? Almost 300 years. In, in 20, 2076, we will be celebrating our tricentennial, 300 years. Amazing history, right? 
By the time Jesus is on the scene, Egypt has been a nation for 3,000 years. That's history. In fact, there's no nation on the face of the earth that has equaled the longevity of any nation other than Egypt. Israel has been dispersed as a nation and has come together twice. Egypt did it three times. They had three interruptions to their history. It is, it is the greatest ancient civilization. It is covered in gold. In fact, back in 1928, I believe it was, an archaeologist by the name of Howard Carter discovered the first untouched tomb in, in centuries, and it was loaded with all kinds of gold. And this is a picture of King Tut. And notice the symbols that God chooses to use is the same symbol that Pharaoh has, a staff. Over his head, a serpent, a rod with whip tails on it. In fact, where you read Psalm chapter 23, the Lord says, your rod and your staff, they guide me. This is actually a shepherd's rod. And think of like a nice chunk of oak. A shepherd uses its staff to help its sheep up into tough places, maybe for the baby use. It leans on it. It can use it for defending. But this is also a rod in that it drives back bears, lions, and sometimes every once in a while, a hit to its own sheep to get them in line. How many of you have ever been hit by the rod of the Lord? It's called your grandma with the wooden spoon. I'm telling you. But there are things at the Lord's table that aren't at Pharaoh's table. Look at Pharaoh's tradition. There's a story that a lot of people don't know, a background to this. You've probably seen this if you've watched the movie Gods of Egypt or Stargate, right? This is actually the ancient god Seth. Now, in Egypt, if there was ever a religion getting it this close without getting it at all, it was the Egyptians. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in the incarnation of God. You know what the Bible says? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Guess what Acts chapter 2 is about? God, by his spirit, filling us with his presence and living out the spirit-empowered life that he has for us as overcomers. That's what God wants for every single one of us. This is, this is biblical truth. In fact, when you were buried, they believed that they would take your heart out and they would put within it a scarab. If you've seen the movie The Mummy, you know, these things like eating people. But this is a beetle, and inside of it, they would write this tradition about the god, the sun god, uh, not the sun, but the son of a god, Osiris. And they would say, you, Osiris, and there's a picture of him here. Let me just show you this. Right in the middle there, he's got his knees bent, and he's sitting down in the middle. And Osiris, that god Seth, killed him. And to the left, that hawk kind of looking god is, is, is Amun-Ra, the god of, of, that they believed filled Pharaoh. He was, Pharaoh was the god Amun-Ra on earth. And his son was seen as Osiris. Now Osiris gets killed, so he sends the spirit god Isis. She flies into the underworld. She brings him back to life. Think about this, resurrection of the dead. They believed in it so much that they buried you and saved your body. Put gold treasure in there to spend on the other side. Filled the tomb with food. And then they would put this little thing, and they would remove your heart, and they would write, May you, Osiris, Paul Conway, raise from the dead. May Isis take you, O Paul Conway, Osiris, and bring you back to life. They believed in it that they had ritual after ritual, moment after moment. Moment, but the truth of the matter is, is that Pharaoh's table is a self-centered, selfish life that doesn't serve anyone except the Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh might have eternal life, but you? Maybe not. Pharaoh has enough money, but he wants yours. Pharaoh will live forever, but time's going to run out for you. Pharaoh big statues, builds statues of himself, but not of you. 
And in fact, it was said about one of the great samurais in Japan. He built a temple. The first level had all these pictures of gods. The second floor, the third floor, all had greater gods until finally you came to the top floor. And you know what was up there? It was, it was this, this samurai shogun, and he only had a mirror because he thought himself to be a god. Pharaoh walks around, a pharaoh spirit walks around, and all it sees is itself. All it thinks that about is itself. All it looks to is to pervert, preserve itself. All it looks to is to serve itself. It thinks that, really, at the end of the day, Pharaoh is the ultimate epitome of a self-centered life that thinks about only himself and nothing about anyone else. God, help save me from my selfishness. Or I just look at myself all the time. Mirror, mirror on the wall. That's Pharaoh. And nothing is there except death. But that's where we come to the table of Moses. I'm going to skip over that clip because I don't think it's going to serve our purpose. We could put it on the video. I had a video for you, but can I just tell you something? Two things we're believing God for. About $85,000 so we can repave our parking lot because that's how much it costs. And second... We probably need about the equal amount to get some screens in here that we could see. We have some video clips for you, but we're not going to play them because just the, the, the quality of these. So if anybody has like $170,000, let me know about it. In the meantime, if you would consistently give and tithe and give to missions, then we'll get there sooner in the long run. We'll get there. But in the meantime, if anybody has that kind of dough lying around, we'll take it. But let me take you to the table of, of Moses. I don't want to live my life at the table of Pharaoh, but you know what's sad? Many people live there. Think about this. When they're in the wilderness and they're suffering, God brings them food from nowhere. Now, I've been in Middle Eastern wildernesses, and I've been in there in 110-degree weather and drinking water. You just can't drink enough, and there's no sign of life. No, you actually feel cooler in the shade. It's the craziest Thing. Like, if you've ever been in New England, it doesn't matter where you are when it's hazy, hot, and humid. It's ugh. Out there, it's so hot that if you stand in the shade, it's like you're like, <sighs> but there's nothing to eat out there. God, what does he do? He provides for the children of Israel something we'll talk about probably next week or the week after. He brings the, the, the food of angels, manna. They wake up in the morning, and you know what's amazing about that? The manna is only on the ground, and it's only good for one day. You can doomsday prep all you want. Pickled meat, disgusting. I'd rather die anyway. But like, you can do all that. But listen, God says this. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Do you know why some of you don't have peace in your life? Is because you're worrying about tomorrow, today, and Jesus has only put enough peace in your heart for the worries of today. And so what you're doing is, is you're... You're chucking your, your resource into tomorrow, and God's saying, let tomorrow worry about itself. The worries of today are sufficient. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, don't get me wrong. We have some things we have to think of long term, but, what, but not, God never, God says, learn from the, the, the ant, you sluggard. They, they, like, preparation is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that, but worryation is not a good thing. And he said, he didn't say, don't prep for tomorrow. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Do you know how much strength we give for fear of provision? And what does God do? He says, I'll, I'll feed them the food of angels. And he puts out in the wilderness. But, but you know what? They were so dissatisfied. They were so disappointed with God because God didn't do for them what they wanted, how they wanted, when they wanted, where they wanted. They said, oh, if we could only go back to Egypt where we ate uh, 
leeks and garlic and onions. Aren't you glad I didn't ask anyone to come up and taste that? Think about how ridiculous that logic is. Oh, that we could go back to Egypt and like, you know what? Yesterday always looks better when today has its set of struggles. I don't know if you know this, but until Jesus comes and the kingdom of heaven becomes earth, this is not heaven. And Jesus said this, in this world you will have much trouble, but he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. Let's trust God today, amen? Let's come to God's table today and say, Lord, I don't need a, a doomsday prep kit. What I need is the daily bread of today. Now, don't get me wrong. I got to go bag and all that stuff, but like, like I, I'm not worrying about tomorrow. I'm not living in fear. Like, God can take care of me. If, if it's up to me taking care of me, I'm in trouble. And what does he do at this table? Think about some of the things that he puts here. Let me just show you some of them. I'm at that age when I bend down, I grunt now. Mm. Mm. Ah. <laughs> he says, bread without yeast. There's a reason for that, and I'll mention it in a second. But he said, I want you to take some nuts and mix it with raisin and with, uh, with honey. And the reason that that's there is for two reasons. One, um, and again, I'm not pre preaching, teaching, Passover. There are some of you that have grown up in Jewish homes. You could do this better, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a connection to our faith in Christ in the bigger picture. So I'm, I'm going through this quickly, but, but this represented the, the mud and bricks that they were forced to make, but it's got honey in it. And it's always to remind us that even in the dirtiest and most difficult seasons, that the idea that God is with us can make the sweetest thing out of the sourest situation. Right, Vivian? <laughs> they had a chunk where the Bible says it was, the, it was the shank, it was like the hip bone area, and it was put there for a reason because the Bible says that Jacob wrestled with God, and when he persevered with God, he said, no longer shall you be called Jacob, but I will call you Israel, for you have wrestled with God and prevailed. In other words, his name Jacob means liar, deceiver, manipulator. Anybody know somebody like that? Anybody have those qualities in their life? It's terrible. It's terrible. Sometimes when I pitch myself to be the hero, I'm actually the villain in the story. It's so easy to let our carnal nature take the best of us and be villains and manipulative and deceiver, but Jacob is like, God, I need you to bless me or I'm going to die. Bless me or, or take me, but God, you got to change me. And God says, no longer will I call you Jacob, but now from now on I will call you Israel. This began the nation of Israel as we know it. But the angel touched his hip and dislocated it. And for the rest of his life, Jacob was no longer called Jacob. He was called Israel, but he also walked with a limp. Do you know what that tells me? God's willing to hurt me if it will help me. And he will leave that on me for the rest of my life to remind me how much I need him. Everyone says, oh, I want God to touch me, touch me, touch me, God. What if God touched you and dislocated you for the rest of your life? And that the memory of God's encounter was pain, but it brought about his glory and honor. You know what? You'd limp, and every time it hurt, you'd just sit there and say, Oh, God, it hurts, but it hurts so good. Thank you for not allowing me to stay the way I was. This limp's worth it. Everything on that plate meant something to remind the children of Israel that God was going to deliver them. And it says this, in the book of Exodus, 
says that they shall take some of the blood and they will put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So he says to them this, you're going to roast a lamb over fire. You're going to make a meal. You're going to have bitter herbs. In fact, one of the herbs that's here is parsley. And then what the tradition is, is you take parsley, which I don't know, there's a reason why they decorate with it, but we don't chew it, but it's bitter. And they dip it into a bowl, not of water, but of salt water. And it tastes gross. But it was to remind them of the bitterness of their slavery and the tears that they shed. So many people are looking for Jesus to get them out, exit us out of the situation, and God says, no, I'll deliver you from it, but I never want you to forget your struggles because your struggles develop character and character perseverance and perseverance hope and hope doesn't disappoint us. Our difficulties don't define us. Don't look at your difficulty and say, oh God, I'd just be happier if this problem went away, this bill went away. One of my friends went up to me once and he said, Paul, you know what your problem is? You say to God all the time, I'll be happy when? When I find that person I can marry, when I get that home, and then you know what? When we just have kids. And then it's like when we get our kids out of the house. And then when I have a home. And then when I get the mortgage paid off. And then one day you're going to stand before God and God's going to look at you and say, your whole life you defined your happiness and your identity around when you got out of something instead of me being in it with you and trusting me. That's why it took 400 years and 10 plagues and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. God was trying to show them don't forget the bitterness. Don't forget the tears. But don't forget me. I'm the God that goes through those situations with you. This tastes absolutely disgusting. Vivian, I just want to publicly apologize to you what I put you through. Different things are put out on the table. A lamb's roasted. The posts were marked with it. The lintel is a fancy word for the top part of the doorway. That's just all it was. Some people paint the inside of the doorways because that's where the Jews would put up the Shema, the scripture, Deuteronomy, the beginning verses. There, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You'll love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All those things on the plate were put there. And the reason he instituted this is so that when he says this, I have you do this because when your children ask, why do we eat bitter herbs and eat bread without yeast on this night? So that you might tell your children, we remember our deliverance from our slavery. Don't ever forget who you were. God doesn't want you to forget who you were. God doesn't want to forget your tears. God doesn't want you to forget your bitterness. He wants you to remember it so you're mindful so that you deliver people from their bitterness. You deliver people from their tears. You deliver people by the Spirit of God and help them. And here's a beautiful thing. The bread in itself has a significance to it. The matzah bread is almost like a cracker, but it has no yeast in it. And that's what God instructed. He says this. He says, he says remember this day in which you came out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery... For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. And as you read 11 through 13 tonight, you'll see that come up over and over again. That doesn't explain why they do it. Right here, he goes into it and he says, In this manner you shall eat it. 
with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. And in another section, he says this. He says, why do we not do it? Because yeast takes time to work into the dough so that it can rise. You have to wait for it to rise. And God says, I'm going to deliver you so fast, you aren't going to have time to wait for the bread to rise. Here's what I want you to do. Put your coat on real quick right now. Don't be one of those people that I just say, I'm not putting my coat on. Just put your coat on real quick. Listen to this. This is the equivalent of what God is saying in this instruction. He says, when you eat this meal, when you eat this Passover, when you do this, make sure, this would be like me saying, make sure that you're going to eat standing up with your winter coat on, your gloves on, your winter hat on, your shoes and your boots on. Don't wait around for the bread and the prep of the meal because God is going to deliver us so quickly out of this difficulty. You aren't going to have time to get ready. God's busting you free. And Jesus would say it like this. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son has not life. Think about Egypt. They were so close to getting it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All of this was really moving us towards the table of the Lord. And God said this, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. Did you get that? When I see the blood, I'll pass over. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. I don't know about you, but there are many moments in my life where I've been passed over in a bad way. I've been passed over. But this Passover isn't because of what you have. This Passover is about what you don't have. You and I don't have holiness. You and I don't have righteousness. You and I don't have the ability to deliver ourselves. You and I don't have the ability to sanctify ourselves. But this God, this God has the ability to clean you, purchase you, deliver you, and take you, faults and all. If you will come into his house, if you will come into his home, if you will come into covenant relationship with him, with his word, with his truth, not saying, not going through this like a buffet, you know, and say, I like a little of this, but I don't like that, I'll take, but if you'll take what he has to say and what he serves and do it his way, God will bring you into covering covenant and pass over your life. What do you mean? Like, He'll pass over my sins? Absolutely. He'll forgive me of my, 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 my intentional flaws? Absolutely. And the reason for that is found in four cups. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it reads like this. Say therefore to the people of Israel, the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord who has brought you out from under the burden of Egypt, the Egyptians. God gave this to Moses 
Right, at the, right after the burning bush, right before the plagues got rolling, God knew that he was going to set them free long before they were delivered. But just like you put on your coat, just like how you come into the covering of God, just how you partake in the meal, there wasn't a single thing that meant that their, their difficulty and the killing of the firstborn was going to free them any more than any of the other problems. But when God says, get ready to do this and do it this way, we do it because we have a God who speaks and delivers on his promise. God says he's going to do something, he'll do it. Each of these things represent a cup at the table of the Israelites at the Passover. I will bring you out. This is a cup of sanctification. Literally, the word holy, or to bring out, is means to set apart. I could set this apart for just simply setting it apart from the other cups. Or I could set this apart for holy use. God is known as the great set-apart holy one. God said, I'm going to take you. I'm going to separate you. I'm going to clean your life up. I'm going to sanctify you, which is something that goes on and on and on. And man, how many of you could partake of God saying, I'm not who I ought to be. Please make me more the person that I should be. And then he goes to another cup, the cup of deliverance from slavery. Different strokes for different folks. Fentanyl. Whew. Everybody talks about drugs, man. Ooh. Prostitution. Ooh. Do you know I've watched people be in church and they die worse than a delivered addict because they are enslaved to bitterness. Some of the most egregious, egregious bondage I've ever seen has been in the church with people who are bitter and unforgiving. And that'll destroy your life just as effectively as heroin and prostitution. Guaranteed. Nobody's good enough. That's why he did this. That's why he delivers us. That's why he sent his son. Not only that, but not only a cup of deliverance, but then they partake of a cup of redemption. You know what the word redemption means? Probably the easiest way to understand it is a pawn shop. You need money. You don't have what it takes. So you take that ring that passed down through your family and you say, listen, I want this back, but if you give me, you know, 50 bucks for this, uh, I'll take care of that and then I'll come by and I'll buy it back. And there's a period where you can get it and buy it back, but if you don't, it gets sold off to somebody who doesn't have the same sentimental connection to it that you do. And it's a grievous thing to have something that belongs to you and means something to you, but means nothing to anybody and goes to them and they just sell it off to somebody. It's terrible. Redeem means to buy back. Listen, the human race belongs to God. We don't belong at the table of Pharaoh, at the table of Satan and sin. We belong at the table of the Lord, celebrating his, his deliverance, knowing that he sanctifies us, knowing that he delivers us, knowing that he redeems us. And so what does God do? He buys us back with the blood of a lamb in the Old Testament, and he buys us back with the blood of the lamb in the New Testament. The last cup that they drink of is called the cup of praise. It's literally the cup of Hillel, which means we, we get the concept of hallelujah out of it. And what's amazing is, is that Jesus, when he is having at his table presented to his disciples, he says this to him. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of my Father. When Jesus was doing, when Jesus was doing communion with the disciples, he was partaking of Passover. And he took this last cup, and afterwards, he took the cup of deliverance to his disciples and said, this is my blood. It was just shed for you. 
He says, this, this, is my, this is my blood. This is the blood of my, of my covenant, which is poured out for, you, for many for the forgiveness of sins. It could forgive everybody's sins, but not everybody leaves the table of Pharaoh. Not everybody knows that God has a space and a place for them, a deliverance, a place where God can set them free. And he says, this is my, this is my blood, which is spilled for you. And then he turns and he says to the disciples, he takes the bread, the matzah, and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And John the Baptist saw it from a million miles away. The first day that him and Jesus lock eyes in his years of ministry, he, he hits that magical age of 30 where a person could move from being a student of God's word to a teacher of it. He becomes a rabbi and he steps up and he brings the message that will never allow life to be the same ever again for humanity. And John looks and he points at him, he says, behold, he goes, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's pointing to this Lamb, the post, the blood, the Passover, the deliverance, and he says, Moses brought us out of Egypt, Jesus is going to bring us out of everything. And he's going to make it available not just to Jewish people, but to Everybody. As the worship team comes up, we're going to sing that song again. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. But we're going to partake of communion today. And if you didn't get a cup coming in, I think if you raise your hand, there's probably some usher-esque kind of people that can get that to you. I'm going to just pull back the bread for mine for now. But let me, let me just continue to share something with you about this feast that's amazing. They have a tradition. One cup is called a cup of Elijah. Now, if you know the Old Testament and the story of Elijah the prophet, when he was reaching his end of ministry, he had a, he had a guy he was pouring into, Elijah. And the Bible says that he, a, a chariot of fire came and took him up into heaven. So here he doesn't officially die. He's literally taken up into heaven and he's brought in the presence of God. Now, all, all human beings die, but for some reason he exits this world in a chariot of fire. He goes off and he's taken away. And in Judaism... That idea of the prophet that would come back to prepare the way of the Lord was always seen magically as like Elijah's going to come back. In fact, in the book of Revelation, you see Elijah. In fact, when Jesus talks about John the Baptist, he says he's the Elijah, that spirit of preparing the way for the Lord. But what they will do is, is they'll, the Jewish children, or one of the children will open up a door. They'll literally go over and they'll open it. In fact, I'll just do it. And one of the kids participating in this meal will leave the door open for Elijah to come back. They'll pour a cup for Elijah. Nobody partakes of it. Waiting for that Messiah to come. And he's come. And his name is Jesus. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I have many Jewish friends. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here. And you might have grown up in the Jewish faith. And you kind of look at Christianity and you scratch your head and like, man, they're stealing everything and, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff with it. Listen, God's goodwill is not just for good people. It's for everybody. God's message to Abraham and to Moses was to share this, this, this covenant with the world. And Christians have not done a good job with it either. We haven't carried that message the way that we could have and we should have and we, and we should and we can. But we're not waiting for Elijah. We're waiting for Jesus. 
Are you waiting for him the way that that door's open? Are you waiting for him the way that, that a, a group of people are like, we just set this out in respect because Elijah's coming back. Do you wake up? You know, the Bible gives says that there is a crown waiting in heaven for people who are anxiously anticipating the return of Jesus. Do you live your life knowing that Jesus is going to come back and take this world back for his own? God looks at the universe and he says, mine. He looks at Pharaoh's table and he says, done. He looks at you and me and he says, forgiven. And he looks at heaven and he says, reunited. And he said, right now to this day, Jesus sees that cup of praise and he says, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But you know what we can do? We can hallel, we can hallelujah, we can raise a song of praise to him that might not be a cup for him to drink. And that moment, that moment when we're in eternity, some of you in that moment are going to be like, I remember that. I remember that service. And Jesus is going to look at us and say, now we can praise. You see, God can't praise yet because it's his will that no one would perish, but everyone would come to eternal life through his son, Jesus that we would come into the covering of his covenant, that we would come under the blood, that he would pass over. Nobody here is good enough. And he did that through the death of his son. And I'd like to pray here this morning, if we could stand to our feet. I want to invite you, if you never have asked God to take an inch of your heart, we're going to do it today. And trust me, if you give him an inch, he'll take a million miles. If you'll open your heart to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're tired of the table of Pharaoh. It's been a 400-year, 10-plague journey of onions and leeks and garlic and grossness. And we don't want to forget. And we don't want our children and want to pass out of memory who we were and what you've done for us. That our responsibility is to pass on from one generation to the next, not a pastor, but our parents, that we pass on the truth of Jesus and what you've done for us. We don't want to forget our tears. We don't want to forget that bitterness. But oh God, that you would sanctify us, that you would deliver us, that you would, oh God, that you would take us. That's what the Lord says. I will take you out of Pharaoh. I've been passed over in bad ways. But when God took me, oh my goodness. Just if you would, just be like, Lord, take my heart. Take my life. My strength is yours. My mind is yours. My resources are yours. Be Lord of my life. Lord, mark my heart with the blood of your son. I come into the covering of Christ today. In Jesus' name. Let's take the bread, if you would, with me. The same way that Jesus said it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. A body, Isaiah 53 says, was busted up so bad you couldn't even have recognized him as a human being. He did that for you and I, so that we could be whole. And the one thing that will not change and the one wound that will not be healed in eternity is not yours, but his. For all eternity, he's identified as the lamb that was slain. Why? Because he can look at you and say, I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to hurt. I'm going to keep this one for all eternity, but I'm going to take all of yours away. Lord, thank you for your body and for making us whole at your expense. In Jesus' name.
After that, he took the cup. So this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Christianity isn't about you reforming your life and living a code of conduct. There's plenty of religions in the world that can do that for you. Christianity is is you acknowledging that you're never going to be good enough. That you invite Jesus in. That this blood that was spilt should have been yours. And he took that hit for you. You know what? This week I had a struggle in my heart. I just had like the world, my flesh pulling me in a direction. And I'm like, ah, just... How many of you just, just let me know that you're human like your pastor and there was just something that was just tempting you, pulling on you this week, this month, this year, right? And, and I, I'm sitting there and I'm in that struggle and I'm like, wait a second. And I just felt like the Lord speak to my heart and say, Paul, everything within you would say yes, but would you do, not do it for me? Would you honor me? And I was like, yes, I can do that, Jesus. I can do it for you. You did it for me. You see, holiness is really not us doing it because we're strong enough. Holiness is and, and being who God wants us to be is provided through the blood of Christ and through his body that we realize that we're never going to be good enough. And then your entire life doesn't become a spilling and a hemorrhaging out of a struggle, but it becomes an honor and a, and a blessing to be able to be pleasing to God because what he did for us is going to be celebrated cup of hallelujah and Lord we know that you're waiting for this cup and we recognize the cup of deliverance that prepares for the cup of praise and it's to your honor that we partake for setting us free for taking us faults and all we can't do it for us but we can do it for you we can live for you we can do it for you we honor you Lord with our life because you gave yours in Christ's name partake of the cup. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Can we pour a cup for Jesus? He won't partake of this one, but you know what he partakes of? When his children raise a praise of hallelujah to him and say, what a beautiful name it is. Can we sing this song and depart after we're done here and go our ways and just say, Lord, I can do it for you. Thank you for taking me. Thank you for sanctifying me. Thank you for delivering me, redeeming me. Thank you for setting me free so fast. I can't even wait around for the bread to rise. Thank you. Thank you. What a beautiful name it is. Let's glorify him with a song. Not hold you, veil torn before you. Silence the boast of sin and grace. The heavens are roaring, praise of your glory, for you are raised to
makes you think that the worst thing in your life could could rival him he has no rival he has no equal and I think what he would want us to go is, is the Lord's pleased with you he loves you faults and all that's why he cleans you he delivers you he sanctifies you and he takes you faults and all don't take space from God. You know what? The, the, the worst thing to happen to addiction is COVID. You know why? Because by nature, those of us who have been addicts, what we do is we isolate ourselves. It's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. But you know what? There's an addiction to something that you and I have, and it's called sin. And in human nature, what you'll do is, is when you find yourself falling into those sins, you'll isolate yourself and isolate yourself and isolate yourself. And what God is saying is, don't run from me. Run to me. What if you make it your habit this week, this month, this year, that when you find yourself in a place that you didn't expect yourself to be, and, in, and you begin to feel that conviction, and you're like, God, I can't believe I'm in this place again, that she would immediately come back to the table and be like, Lord, don't let me forget my bitterness. Don't forget the tears. Don't, Lord, hurt me if you have to help me. Whatever needs to happen, God, teach me a sweet experience through this, this brick and mortar, but God, would you please sanctify me? Would you deliver me? Would you take me? Don't run from him, run towards him. Don't isolate, don't insulate elevate the name of Jesus and and he will he will come to your rescue he will help you amen father we thank you and we praise you for what you've done here today and we thank you for the teaching and preaching of your word we thank you for this wonderful team of worshipers and we thank you of the cup of praise that we've sent your way I can't wait for that day when you pull out that cup and millions and millions of people across the ages will shout with a deafening scream because the cup of praise is partaken of by you again, Lord. We look for that Lamb's Supper of eternity, but until then, we want you to know we're yours, we're under the covering of your blood, and we are gonna live for you, faults and all. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go. God bless you as you come. Thank you so much.